Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guest, I wanted to just tell you what I'm watching this week. Uh, Honestly, not a lot. I've been extremely crazy busy, but I have been binging Real Housewives of Potomac um, from season three because I never watched it. Everyone says it's the best one. So I knew I didn't have the time to go back to the very, very beginning. So I started from season three, 20 episodes. Thank you very much. I just finished that yesterday. Uh, It took a while. But it was great. It is really good. I'm so happy, so happy that I that I finally got on that bandwagon. And now I'm into season four. And I think I have about a week to watch that before season five premieres in real time next week. So if you're a Housewives fan, you're not watching it. I know you're probably laughing at me because it took me so long, but it's really, really good. One of the best. Maybe. Yeah, it's up there. Top three for sure. And the other doc that I watched was Showbiz Kids on HBO, which was pretty depressing, but very well done. So I do recommend it. Today on the podcast, Tracy Tudor. Tracy is the only female real estate agent on Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles. She's also a repeat guest on this podcast. You can listen to our original interview on February 11th, 2019. At that point, I went to Tracy's house and we talked about everything, really. So we go very in-depth. I definitely think if you haven't listened to that one, you should take a listen. Today, we are talking about her new book, Fear is a Four-Letter Word. It's already a bestseller, and it's a book I think every woman should read. I absolutely loved it. It's so helpful and instructive and also funny and just very Tracy. Today, we're talking about the book, The Impossible Client from Malibu, the Pasadena drama with David and James, and some new changes in her personal life since her divorce. Okay, I'm here with Tracy Tudor. Hello, Tracy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. I don't know if you remember the last time I saw you was at your home that's now been sold, which we'll get into later. And it looks like you're in a gorgeous (laughs) new place that looks kind of like a little like the old place. I'm just looking at the kitchen. Yeah, a little bit. It's got its own flavor, but it's a, a really cute rental that we found in Beverly Hills. Nice. So you're settled in? Yeah, all settled in, happy, like like just loving this new area and just enjoying it, really. I'm so happy. I can't wait to jump into all of it. I am so... First of all, I wanted to talk to you anyway before the season started. And then when I saw this book, I thought, oh my God, this is the perfect way to talk about the show and this book, which I love. Fear is just a four-letter word. Now I get a lot of books, you know, sent from people. And I have to say, I'm always a little skeptical when I start. Cause it's like, Oh God, what is she going to say? What's new? And I absolutely love this book. So I just want to start there. Thank you. That makes me really happy. It's so in your voice. I mean, it's, it's so you, it just feels like you're talking to a girlfriend. And I'm so I, glad to hear that because right? that was, that was a big piece of, of what I said to myself when I decided to do this was that if I can't get my voice across the sort of the vulnerabilities and also the tough and the funny and all of it like wrapped up in one, I just didn't think it would come across in black and white and and resonate. So like, I just like kept reading it over and over and over again. And we were editing and like, I really wanted it to be more of a conversation in my tone that people could relate to. I think more than just your typical how-to book. 
And that's exactly how it reads. I mean, it was so easy to read. I loved the kind of sprinkling of the personal antidotes of your business. And of course, trying to guess like, is that the person in this season that we're seeing? Or is that from another season? So I loved that little guessing game. And I also just love that. Look, I'm not a realtor. A lot of people are not in real estate, but I do feel, I mean, I've already taken some nuggets away from my own life, from my own career, because I really think that even though it's kind of, you know, you use your own stories. It really is for any woman in business. I I totally agree. And that was something that I really wanted to make sure that people understood that while that's my business, that I, you know, this book really is for any female um, or really anyone who has felt held back by sort of, you know, in the business world by different people or climbing the corporate ladder has been a struggle for a variety of reasons, whether it be your color or your sexuality or, you know, being a female like me climbing the ladder in this business. But um, that was like a huge goal for me. And I think that women, what I'm finding in this, you know, first few weeks of actually being released and people reading the book and giving me feedback is that they are totally resonating from a ton of different businesses. And they've reached out to me and I always try to talk to everybody because I am genuinely interested in everybody's feedback. One of the things I love that you, that, that is a sort of a theme throughout the book is the whole idea of trusting your instincts and your intuition. Cause I'd noticed in my own life that when I go against those things, it never works out. Is that kind of something that you had to learn the hard way? I think we all do. I think it's something that like we're sort of taught to ignore um, time and time again. And I think now more than ever, we need to be paying attention to our instincts and, and what our gut is telling us Um, and do the opposite. You know, when you've been practicing it one way for so long and following, you know, whatever the traditional ideas or mindset of how to make it in business, um, I say, screw that. And trust your gut because more often than not, you're the one that is in, in the relationship. You're in the dialogue with that other person and only you know how you feel. So I think voicing that is, is a huge piece of what makes us present in a room and also what makes us successful. One of the other things I loved that I definitely also related to is that idea that you need to be kind of a chameleon, but you also need to stay true to yourself because not every situation demands the same version of yourself. But I think that that's tricky, right? Don't you find that sometimes you feel like you're selling yourself out if you're not, you know, you the way the all shades of Tracy all the time. By the way, aren't we all sort of all shades of ourselves at different points in our life? Like, can't we relate to a struggle that we had that maybe we're not currently in um, and tap into that. Like, that's what I mean when I talk about being a chameleon, because I think that it's not about shifting uh, who you are, like from the inside, it's just, it's perspective. And being able to understand someone else's perspective can also allow you to to relate to them more. And that's what I mean by being a chameleon. It's, It's about walking into the room and, making that small shift to be able to relate to the person that you're sitting across from. Right. I think you're right. And what, what came up again in the book time and time again, is that, you know, you are in the level that you're in, in your industry, you're dealing with a lot of rich, powerful, mostly white men. And you always, that that's what was so interesting about this book being released now, having just watched the episodes with you and Scott Gillen. Is that his name? Yeah. 
Because I honestly, Tracy, you proved yourself to me. Like I always knew you were a badass bitch, but the way that you handled <laughs> yourself, I, I have so many questions about that. Because one of the things you talk about, and let's just go broad and then go micro, is the idea of knowing how much you can take and what will be worth it. So like with this guy, Scott, how did you evaluate, you know, what's my point? I want to win. I'm going to win. I don't fail. You said that to him. I don't fail. But then when are you like, you know what? Like Altman basically was like, I lasted three weeks. He was an asshole. I broke up with him. So for you, how do you gauge your limit? And how do you know when you just can't, it's not worth it. No amount of money will be worth it. I think that's like a constant lesson, right? And particularly in this case, for me, because it was the biggest listing personal residential opportunity that I had ever been a part of. Sure, was I an ambassador for the Royal Atlantis in Dubai, and I'm working with, as an ambassador in Mexico for Four Seasons and the Amon and Costa Palmas. But um, as, as a personal goal for me to be able to have a portfolio in Malibu of close to 500 million in listings was something that like, you know, your eyes kind of bug out of your head and you're like, this is, this is going to happen. And I was going to do whatever it took despite uh, everybody else's journey with him and whoever he's come across, um, you know, during his career, uh, I knew that I had to experience it for myself. So I did. And I will tell you, I am no longer working with him. How long did did it take? How long did you, how long did you last? We together for about five or six months. Um, we're still in contact. Um, you know, we parted ways, I think from a place of like, this isn't working for me anymore. And I truly think that Scott is a creative force, but also has a, a, an enormous ego and just cannot get out of his own way. And, you know, I think that he needed to go down the road of potentially representing himself to see if he could do it better because, you know, that's, I think was his biggest challenge is I think he always felt like he did everything better than everyone else. And, um, because of that, it, it was just a constant roadblock and it became unhealthy for me. Like I wasn't sleeping. My other clients were suffering. My anxiety level was at an all time high. I was getting texted all hours of the day. Nothing I did was good enough. No amount of money I spent was, was, nearly enough to satisfy his needs. So I finally just got to a place where I said, you know what, this isn't worth it. And then it really did fuel a lot of, I was writing the book during this time. So it really did fuel a lot of my, you follow your own advice, Tracy, like when is enough enough? And when do you decide to say to yourself, you know what, no monetary amount is worth my health, my stress level, and my other clients. Um, and that's when we decided to break our contract and uh, move on. Well, you know, he, you knew he was a piece of work going into it. So did you think I'll be the one? I'll be the one of all these other realtors who we've left in the dust. He's impossible. I mean, you knew it was pretty obvious from the get-go. You knew you were dealing with a certain personality. I did, but I also knew that I was the first female he'd ever worked with. I oh, also, really? I also knew that there was something about him that was very argumentative. And when he was challenged back by me, it like it fueled something in him that yeah. made him, I don't know, just more appealing as a client. Like he liked the fact that I had something to say back, but he just didn't like it at all hours, you know? <laughs> right. Um, he wanted me to have an 
opinion about things and and be tough when it fueled what his needs were. But when it didn't, it was, you know, it became dysfunctional. And that is just not something I'm interested in doing, not at this point in my career. And it's different for everybody. I mean, I think I'll talk about this a little bit more now in my interviews, but obviously leading up to those two episodes where we talk about Scott Gillen, um, you know, I wanted to kind of let everybody process him and on the show before, you know, and people are asking me nonstop, like, have you sold it yet? What's happening? And it's like, no, we ultimately decided to part ways um, prior to shooting even being over. So, um, yeah, he was a tough one. He goes I, down the books. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a personality like that. And I've dealt with, you know, similar types there will never be anybody that can satisfy. Like you probably came the closest to anything that would work. And he, like you said, he's just, he's never going to be satisfied. And that's I part mean, of the game, right? Yeah. And I think the interesting piece about our relationship is that I think we both needed some space from it to kind of wrap our heads around like what what I brought to the table and, and whether or not he valued even now that we're not working together anymore. Um, you know, what I had to offer. And I think I offered him far more than anyone has offered him to date. But, um, you know, Scott has some pretty big numbers that he's asking for properties that aren't built yet in Malibu. And that's a really tough uphill for a lot of buyers to swallow. And so um, I wish him the best of luck and I hope he does sell them. The way that you dealt with him was just so impressive from start to finish. And you're right. Even the way that he just left the own, even the way that he left his own open house was so uncharacteristic because you would have thought he would have stayed there the entire time to micromanage everything. But I read it as like, oh, he actually respects Tracy enough to leave. So, (laughs) or did he have to go somewhere? (laughs) What you saw, what was cut in to the show. Ah, did not let us in the house when we were supposed to be let in to set up. Um, so while my party planner was sitting out on that driveway and ready to load in at 8 a.m., he was he held them off for an hour and a half. So that's why people were scrambling. Of course, none of this is on the show because we have to limit, you know, all the right. You could tell everyone was stressed as hell though. I mean, you could see me like my hair was like flying everywhere. I was like, God damn it. If this does not like if people don't get out of my way. And I remember he looked at me at one point. He goes, I'm not talking to you. Oh. And I was like, it's going to take everything in me to turn around and just walk away. And don't kid a kid. I was not happy that Josh and Matt were having a side conversation with my client. It was not cool. And that kind of got brushed over a little bit too. And I know they have my back and they know Scott is Scott and is a very challenged individual, (laughs) but you know, from both in my, in my perspective and as a viewer of the show, I was watching it going, everybody thinks that Scott's, you know, so difficult, but like, where's my buddy who's standing there sort of kind of putting me in a really awkward position with my client. Why do you think they did that? The Altman's. Because they can't stand him. Right. They and just they wanted want, to razz him. They just wanted to razz him because he is so difficult. And so that part of it, I I understood like where the sentiment was, but it wasn't cool and it wasn't professional. And it put me in a really awkward um, situation at an open house. So that was 
um, definitely not something that I was, I stood behind, you know, at the end of the day. And there were a lot of discussions when we cut filming about how to navigate that. I mean, look, from a viewer's perspective, you were so cool under ev- considering everything that had happened up until that point, And then that you didn't even seem, you seem, you know, a little annoyed, but you handled yourself so calmly and coolly. I probably would have just freaked out on them. Well, you just had, I mean, we, I had no choice. I mean, the, the, you know, everybody had an opinion about, you know, what the client, how the client was challenging. And there's no doubt in my mind, of course he was. No one was allowed to use the bathroom. The toilets were covered. There was security everywhere. You couldn't have a bottle of water. <laughs> you couldn't put your purse down. Like it was like nonstop maniacal right. behavior. But, you know, as an agent walking into any of their open houses, you would never see me challenge their client. In, a, in an open house like that, it just wouldn't happen. I'm just classier than that. Yeah, that's unprofessional. But one of the takeaways, and you, you cover this in your book too, is sort of like how you deal with different types of personalities. And obviously you can't deal with them all the same. And with this, it was such a good takeaway for me too. You leaned into his craziness. In other words, the the whole slippers thing. Instead of, you know, I would have been like, dude, it's fine. The people coming in, just they can wear their shoes. You're like, no, this is clearly going to be a deal breaker for him. Let's create special slippers. And that was just how, you know, you, you catered to the crazy in a way that made him feel good. And also was kind of fun for the people coming in. I thought that was really impressive. I mean, I I knew that I had to make a lot of adjustments working with him on how I would traditionally work with a client, show their house. I mean, this was like a, a, a new level for me of, of understanding the depths of the crazy that I deal with on a daily basis. But I will say, you know, I, I learned something new. I mean, pitching him the way that I did, I came in guns a blazing, you know, again, there were other meetings that we had off camera. Um, but that whole showing pitch that was like next level. And believe me, like, it made me think like, I've got to still continue to push the envelope and try different things. And, you know, I'm doing a lot more of that lately because, you know, it does pay off, you know, and you just have to take risks every once in a while and not, you know, sit across from someone in a listing appointment with a book and a, and a boring story to tell. I know this is hindsight's twenty twenty and all that, but if he came to you tomorrow, in other words, if nothing had just happened, would you take him on as a client tomorrow? If you didn't know anything that came before it. We were texting just the other day. <laughs> oh, he and, wants more. He uh, wants you back. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was worried about how he would be perceived on the show um, because, you know, he said a lot of things that were inappropriate. Some made it, some did not. Um, and, you know, that was a that was a big concern for him. So I feel like I, I protected him. And that was something that, you know, he appreciated. And on some level, there was there is a loyalty, I think. Um, once you work with someone at, at that level where you, you know, you have, regardless of what way you go, you have respect for that person. And, you know, could I ever work with him again? It would be on my terms this time. You know, I, I, I probably could if it was defined in a very, very different way. Right. I can't see him agreeing to any terms. (laughs) So I really don't either. One of the things I love about you in real life and also on the show is that you are who you are. I mean, there's no acting, there's no bullshit. You're just very upfront. You know, what you see is what you get. And this season with, with, um, Dave and James, you know, you had that whole issue in Pasadena, which I love that you talked about in the book. Cause I felt like I was so, you know, kind of like seeing it unfold in real time. Cause 
actually, I was thinking when I was reading that chapter, uh oh, Tracy's saying this, but that's not actually what happened in the show. And then you're like, yeah, I copped to the fact that with David, I actually shouldn't have badmouthed him. So I'm curious, like, how, but then when he was confronting you about it, you're like, yeah, I totally talked about you. And this is why I said it. Well, and, and it's, it's one of those things where in the moment, and, and again, you guys only see right. how it cut together. But I was sitting across from this guy at his folding table in a kitchen with no air conditioning and that I drove an hour and 20 minutes to get to with my partner. And he had nothing to talk about other than how much he is a fan of our show and that David is his number one <laughs> choice, but that David wouldn't call him back. And handed him off to some agent in Pasadena. And I said, well, with all due respect, I'm sitting in front of you right now and I'm not David. And so, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to go about this? And I think that he took advantage of that and used it against me to really truly get David to show up. And I guess it worked. So, (laughs) you know, is it the, the seller and the client that, you know, was the savvier one between the three of us? Perhaps he got what he wanted. He got David, his, you know, his biggest star fan to show up at his listing. I love how you called him creepy seller, dude. But He's also, so yeah, that, well, just the fact that that's his favorite part. The whole thing is weird. But, but what I won't, we, 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 yeah. just go back to your question. Like, yeah. yes, I said what I said and I don't take it back. I do feel like it was misinterpreted in a way that sort of made it seem like I was shit talking David. And that's not something that I'm cool with. I'm never cool with like taking anybody else down. I think we all have different perspectives about that. But for me, it really is about speaking the truth. I think the tone of it, I got, I let my emotions get the best of me because I felt like the seller was kind of coming at me and and I just thought it was really creepy. And so I I got a little bit feisty with him in that moment and it it came back to bite me in the ass. So it just, I, the only thing I would change about that is, you know, processing the information that I was receiving from the person sitting across from me and being able to eloquently speak about it without sort of, throwing in my, you know, David doesn't get out of bed for less than $10 million comment, which may be mildly unnecessary, but you know, hell, I'm not perfect. What do you want? Right. Well, what's funny about that was like, you guys were arguing over this house that was kind of a piece of shit. (laughs) So that was was the point, which is why David didn't show up for it. And, you know, only when I you know, said something about it. Did he decide to get in the car? And, you know, all of a sudden it's his favorite listing. And it's like, really? I don't think so, David. I think you just enjoyed the fact that I said something about it and then you ended up closing it. Oh yeah. That was clearly the motivation throughout the fact that he spent all that money on the architecture plans. Like that's not very typical, is it? Are you joking? (laughs) That is such bullshit. And the whole fact that they were like, oh, We'd love to call you and take you out to lunch. I mean, are you kidding me? I was like, you guys are really enjoying playing this up. But, you know, God God bless them. They, they wanted to break into the market in Pasadena, and they have. But you just sold a great home. Well, you just, not, it was probably a year and a half ago. Yeah. But on the show, you just sold a great house, though. I love the one that you just sold. 
on the yeah, show. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a really cool house. We enjoyed working on it. Tim Durkovic, is, he flips homes and has just exquisite taste. And we worked together on that one and, and you know, did really well. So you're the only female realtor on the show. You're the, you talk a lot in the book about being sort of the powerful woman in a sea of men. And I loved what you did with this panel called Real Deal, which I guess is the real estate equivalent of real screen in my industry. And you were the only woman in like out of 16 guys called to be on this panel and flag and Altman were also part of it. And you basically told them like, I'm pulling out unless you get some more women or is that kind of how it went down? No, to be clear, uh, I was invited to go and uh, by a sponsor to be a guest. Oh, and you weren't I, asked oh, to be on the panel at all? No. And I said, which is not a problem. I mean, that's not my concern. Oh. But I had looked it up to say like, oh, okay, well, let me check this out. What is this? And then all of a sudden I glanced at it, glanced a little closer, then started to like read it. I'm like, is there one woman on this panel and does she happen to be the moderator? Like, are you kidding me? And so, you know, unfortunately I can't help myself. And I love it. Social media. And I just had an authentic conversation and I'm glad I did because screw that. And and I spoke up about it on real deal and, and the guys ended up stepping off the panel, understood where I was coming from. The real deal took some accountability, although I'm not really seeing any changes on that front. Um, but again, this is what it comes back to. And it's, it's you know, our industry amongst many industries that are still sort of, you know, the men are at the top and certainly the men that happen to be white seem to be thriving while, you know, women, men and women of color, different religion, like, you name it, um, we have a little bit more of a challenging time, like finding our way to the top, being represented in all fields. What, uh, speaking to that, I mean, Bravo is so inclusive and has been sort of on the forefront. And you mentioned that in the book too, on, on all of those fronts. Do you think there should be another woman on Million Dollar Listing? Absolutely. There should be women on Million Dollar Listing. There should be people of color on Million Dollar Listing. There should be all different types because we are a multifaceted industry for sure. And, you know, like any other industry out there, we should be represented as such. And right now, you know, between two franchises, Million Dollar Listing New York and Los Angeles, you know, you have me as as a main cast member. Granted, we have Heather, um, but as well, and she's a talent in her own right, but as a a formal cast member, there's one woman. And then there's, I don't know, um, white men. (laughs) Right. You know, I, I challenge, I challenge it every day. I really do. Good. Yeah. I think we're ready. I think we're all ready. So let's come up to the present tense. You, well, on the show, you sold your home, which we talked about at the beginning. Um, but that was really interesting to see played out because that home was where you were married, where you raised your girls. It, you could see the emotion. That's another thing I like about you is that you don't hide from you know, the real stuff. And I think you were very honest about the fact that, you know, it's not just a transaction when you're selling your own home where you created this life. It's very emotional. Were you happy ultimately with the way it played out on the show and in real life in terms of the sale and and stepping away from it? I was like, luckily I, I had like a really great support system with working with Gina from my team to really represent my best, you know, like 
version of that house and she did a great job um in terms of like the emotional piece of it again you know the show did a really good job i think of capturing some of the vulnerable moments um that i had during the process but there wasn't a huge feature on the sale of my house uh there was a lot more there and um I think probably because I'm not representing myself on it, it was a challenge to sort of figure out where that fits into our, our program because it's essentially about real estate. So if I'm not representing myself, it makes it a little bit tough. Right, right. It was sort of like it's going on the market and then you get the phone call that it's sold. Right. How right. long did it actually take to sell? I think we went under contract around day 70-ish. Um, so really for that price point was, it was pretty quick. Um, so we were really, really stoked um, when we were able to put it under contract and of course close. Yeah. So I know you love Brentwood and now you're renting Beverly Hills. Are you just kind of biding your time to see where you want to buy next? Or you think you'll stay in Beverly Hills? What's the plan? Oh my goodness. I think I'm really enjoying Beverly Hills. I, you know, I'm, I'm not married anymore. My kids aren't teeny tiny. They're loving like this, you know, the new area that we're living in. I'm enjoying it. Um, so I think I might stay here. Although, you know, I have a big passion for horses and that whole like ranch like life. And I think in quarantine, I'm starting to envision maybe something, a secondary place you know, a little bit more removed that we can escape to on the weekends. So speaking of we and speaking of quarantine, it's no secret that you have a hot new beau who also <laughs> happens to be your trader. Don't think I didn't deep dive on his Instagram. I figured that was oh my God. I'm like, girl, I have been, I thought I was working out every day, but I don't even no, know what God. is between the two of you. There is a oh lot God. of good workouts going on. <laughs> and those are the only ones I'm seeing. <laughs> we, yeah, we are having a, a really good time in this quarantine. I, I mean, <laughs> it looks like you. fun. Oh, by the way, you know, we were obviously friends first. I was going to ask. So he was your trainer for how long? I'm not terribly long. Like I, Frederick uh, had introduced me to Dog Pound, which was a gym yeah. that, you know, was originally started in New York and opened in L.A. And then... Uh, he told us, you know, me and my friend Diggy that we should train with Eric and, you know, who works with Frederick. Julia was like, oh, he's so great. You guys are going to love him. He's just great energy. And so we started training with him and, you know, we all became friendly and then, I don't know. And then just became really friendly. <laughs> <laughs> all those booty workouts. Yeah. I love I, it. So has he ever been married? No, he's like barely old enough to be <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> How, so the girls are cool. They're not like, he's our brother. Yeah, my, my girls adore him. He's like, he's, he's great and easy to be around. And, um, I think that's like the most important thing. And I'm always honest with my girls about, you know, what I'm doing and, and who I'm seeing. And, you know, if you have a problem with that, then, then that's your problem. But I'm, we have a good relationship. My daughters have a good relationship with him. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a really good message to send your daughters that, you know, there is life after divorce. There is dating and fun and joy. And that's the message that I'm going to give to them. Good. You went down some memory lane stuff um, with 
Jason in the book about that scene from, I think your first season, that was so brutal. I think we talked about on the last podcast where you kind of challenges you slash gaslights you on your daughter's grade. It was it, was it hard to balance writing the book in terms of how much you wanted to say about your marriage and your divorce? Cause I felt, of course I'm nosy. I want to know way more, <laughs> but <laughs> did you feel like, you know, that's the past and I'm just going to leave it there. Or is it like, it's still the dad of my girls. I mean, I can imagine that's tricky. He's still, he's still very much the father of my children. And I want to be respectful of that. Our relationship is very different now. Um, but I don't know if I'm done with that yet. I think that there's another book. I think that I wanted this to be about empowering women and in business. And it wasn't really sort of like, you know, my memoir or my deep, deep story. And, um, right. I don't, I don't know what will happen next, but as, as it relates to Jason, he was a big part of my life for almost 18 years. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff there. And I've done, I've, processed it all. I just don't know if I want to put that out there to the world. That makes you sense. Know? Do you ever have to overlap with him in business? Cause he's a developer, right? He's a contractor. contractor. And, uh, uh, you know, we do business together from time to time. I give him clients. He gives me oh. client referrals. And so, uh, that's something that we've, we've maintained fortunately, in, even in our divorce. That's great. All right. Last but not least, I think I heard it on Amy Phillips show that you had COVID. Did you and Eric both have COVID? We did. We didn't know it at the time, but really, really early on, I had done a, uh, a speaking engagement for a company in Connecticut at the like end of February, early March. And I, this was like before there was no testing really to be heard of unless you had like 104 fever. And so I called my doctor and I, I, for the life of me, I said, you know, I have this cough, but I'm, and I'm super tired. And so I went in and saw my doctor and he's like, I, I can't, I don't have a test that I can give you. You don't have any of the other symptoms that are, you know, that are being showcased. So I don't think that you have it. He gave me a flu test and ultimately right around day four, I felt a lot better. Um, and Eric really just had, you know, some like exhaustion symptoms. He's at, was like somewhat asthmatic. So he had uh, like just difficulty breathing, um, but nothing that like took us down. So about four weeks later, we were, we had the ability to get antibody tests. And so we did. We had and you two. tested positive for the antibodies? Yeah, we both tested positive for the antibodies. I actually just took another test last week and tested negative for COVID um, because I just wanted to like stay on yeah. top. And honestly, there's so much, so much news of what's real, what's not. Can you get it again? I don't know. So um, I went and got another test. Do you think it gives you some level of comfort now that you've, you've gotten it, you have the antibodies, you've tested negative again? You know what I mean? Do you feel less scared of it? I did feel like, like, you know, I was lucky enough to obviously be fairly asymptomatic and same with Eric, but, um, you know, then there's so much information out there that I don't know who to believe anymore. Can you, you know, get it again? And what is the likelihood of that? How careful, you know, do we need to be, how long does it last? The antibodies, is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? Right. Is it, I don't know. So I'm just operating 
under, you know, how I have been. And obviously because I'm working and seeing clients, we are very, very, very cautious um, when we're showing houses, but we have to be. That was my last question. How has COVID affected the market and your job right now? Yeah, it's a little all over the place. You know, the market is like one day I'm like, oh, it's hot. <laughs> and the next day I'm like, wow, I, I'm not a call, ding dong. Yeah. But um, it, it depends on the price point you're in, certainly. It depends on how effectively clients are pricing their houses. But there's there's quite a few properties that would be, we've been seeing under $5 million that are going in multiple offers, which I would not have anticipated during this. Um, you know, obviously interest rates are much, much lower I mean, to be able to get a 30-year fixed for, you know, 3% or just under 3% is like bananas. But the restrictions and the guidelines for those loans are also going to be um, a lot more hefty. So it's, you know, people need to figure out if they can actually qualify for right. these types of, of low, low rates. So we'll see about that. Just be happy you're not an agent in New York City, right? It could not be worse there. Yeah, My I cousin cannot of- sell her apartment. Oh, I have a lot of friends in the city that are struggling, both brokers and obviously yeah. people that want out. And it's just, it's really tough and it's going to remain that way. And we all just have to wrap our heads around like what it's going to take to get business done in this new world that we're living. I know it's so crazy. I don't have anything good to say. I mean, nothing new to say about it. You're right. 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 It's just a new, it's just something that we're facing every single day. And you know, you hope like, like we had Governor Newsom shut us back down again and the restaurants and, and, you know, bars are closed, gyms are closed again. So there, he's trying to correct what I think was releasing us too soon into the wild. But, totally. It should have just never, um, right. I agree. Everything opened too soon. Well, and then, you know, it's like letting, you know, hamsters out of a cage. <laughs> right. you know, everybody, ah! everybody was so crazy. Everyone's going to lick each other and. Yeah, exactly. Do shots exactly. off each other. You know, we're paying the price for that. So I know everybody kind of, you know, tames the beast and gets, you know, to the other side of this. So our numbers can go down in California. Yeah. Agree. Okay. Tracy, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. You're very fun to watch. And of course, with all these new workouts, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just, it's awesome. Um, you can find me just at Tracy Tudor. Um, you know, we also have a Facebook group online now. It's my uh, Facebook fearless team. And, and we talk weekly where you can, I think you can purchase a book from my website and have the opportunity to join that group. And, um, you know, I, I log on and I talk to these women and it's become this incredible thing. And it's men too, where they're actually, you know, they've got book clubs going and they're all talking to and supporting each other. So it's this really great opportunity, I think, to connect with other people um, that are, you know, have the same sentiments as you. I love that. And everyone needs to buy their copy of Fear is Just a Four-Letter Word. It's such a great book. Thank you for writing it. And thank you for sending it to me to read because I, I, I it really did affect me and I'll, I'll have it in my head for a long time in, in the best way. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. I can't believe it. <laughs> I was saying that I can't believe that I wrote it and that at someone read it, much less <laughs> that we were able to make the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Amazing. You know, Amazing. Congrats. Yeah, we're just beside ourselves and we're so glad that we have the support that we do from women like you. So thank you. Oh, I can't wait to see what you do next. You're you're just a hustler. Oh, you're never <laughs> stopping. So <laughs> Who knows? The best is yet to come. Thank you, Tracy. Exactly. I can't wait. Take care. Thank you, Tracy. Bye. Bye.